Let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, actually, we completed chapter 5 last time, but we're going to begin reading with verse 22 of chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Now, in verse uh, 26 of chapter 5, where Paul says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Whenever there are doctrinal or ethical differences among believers, or, or you can even extend this to between believers and unbelievers, and of course it is an absolute duty to go ahead and differ. I'm not saying you should not differ. It's a duty to differ when... Uh, there is something ethically or doctrinally wrong. But when there are these differences, the door is opened to conceit, to provoking one another, and to envying one another. If you just think about argument, disputes, and the arguments and disputes that you have known during your lifetime, that you have encountered, uh, so frequently uh, people get their feelings hurt, people become angry or they become enraged or they lash out at one another they end up uh, using illegitimate arguments they call each other names there's just all sorts of stuff that that uh, accompanies typically accompanies uh, argumentation and disputing uh, and in the encountering of something that's ethically wrong I mean it's so easy to become extremely upset and offended when you encounter somebody doing something that is ethically wrong to do. So, conceit, provocation, and envy can and often do exist on both sides of a dispute. The right side and the wrong side. And of course, it's also possible to have disputes. In fact, frequently there are disputes where there isn't a right side. Both sides are wrong. But at any, at any rate, this is a, a uh, common occurrence that Paul is, is uh, warning against. Now, uh, in the context, um, you notice that, that uh, Paul has been concerned about the Galatian people. Verse 15, he says, if you bite and devour one another, Beware lest you be consumed by one another. Uh, and verse 14, he said, All the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, 
the Galatians were involved in fleshly sins that uh, that Paul has been directing a lot of his attention to when he gives this list of the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. And so we don't know specifically uh, what the problems were, except for the overall problem that they had in Galatia, which was the this false gospel that was being held to by uh, some of the people in Galatia and was being preached to them by these uh, uh, people that were intruding themselves upon the Galatians. But uh, even this would be a source of, of conflict and a source of, of possible uh, giving in to the... Uh, the uh, things that he lists here, such as being conceited and provoking one another and ending one another. Now in chapter 6, uh, Paul brings it down to the individual level. Uh, we can think about the whole Galatian letter. How does, how does Paul's uh, admonition here about not becoming conceited, not provoking one another, not ending one another, about uh, loving one another, uh, about being gentle, uh, having self-control, etc. How does that fit with, with the letter that he's written to the Galatians? Did Paul observe these, these uh, admonitions in regard to himself when he was writing the book of Galatians? He has some harsh words to say to the Galatian people in general. Uh, he also has some endearing words. It's very evident that he counts them as believers in Christ. He starts off the epistle by, uh, by uh, saying grace to you in peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, including them, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Uh, but nevertheless, he is very direct and forthright in dealing with their error. Well, I don't think that, that meekness and gentleness and the things that he refers to here preclude being forthright and being clear and dealing with error. Um, but in chapter 6, we come down to the individual ladder, or level. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, the first thing we need to say is that Paul is not setting up two classes of Christians, spiritual Christians and non-spiritual Christians. What he's referring to is Christians who are mature, and who are not themselves overtaken by this trespass that is in question. Now, I don't think Paul has in mind in this passage a particular trespass. He has, he has in mind a general term, and that's what he uses. It covers a multitude of different things. Most likely he has in mind ethical trespass, but it could also cover a doctrinal trespass, error in terms of, of a person's thinking. 
And both of those, both whether it's ethical or whether it's uh, doctrinal, and the two are related in, in almost every case, uh, you really can't be involved in, in ethical trespasses without there being some doctrinal trespass, some error in your thinking as well. Uh, but uh, the person that is referred to, or, or what Paul is getting at, is dealing with an individual. He says, you that are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Um, we're to set things, try to set things right in every situation concerning people with a spirit of gentleness or meekness. And this requires that we come alongside the person who's in error in a sympathetic way. Uh, Sympathy toward the person, not the error. And this type of approach may leave the door open to the spiritual person being tempted more than that he would be if he came at the person in a combative way. You know, if you come at it in a combative way, you kind of isolate yourself from the person and the the uh, situation he's in, but if you come in a sympathetic way and you try to be understanding and you try to come alongside them so as to help them and understand the problem that they, they're undergoing and the temptation that they've undergone, you lay yourself liable for seeing that thing that is tempting them and in seeing it in such a way that you might be tempted yourself. And I think that's what Paul has in mind. This type of dealing with error in a brother or sister is bearing their burden with them. And Paul says in verse 2 that by bearing their burden that we fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the question immediately arises, what, what does Paul mean when he talks about the law of Christ? And I think that the most obvious thing that comes to mind is in John chapter 13, verse 34, where Christ says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, in calling this a new commandment, uh, it's clear that this is proceeding from Christ and it is a law or a commandment. And so this clearly fits the bill uh, when we ask ourselves explicitly what is Paul talking about here when he says uh, fulfilling the law of Christ. But there is, uh, there is more to be said about this subject. If you look at Romans chapter 13, Verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. So not, not only do we fulfill this commandment explicitly that Christ has given, but we fulfill the law itself, the, the whole of the law. He says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Then look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Now think about this in the context of doing what Paul is admonishing us to do here, which is to, uh, to restore a brother that's overtaken in any trespass in a spirit of gentleness. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And then if you turn over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. And then over one more uh, book to Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Christ esteemed us better than himself and that he gave his life for us. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now this is what Christ did for us. And this is what Paul is saying we need to do in regard to our brothers who are overtaken in a trespass. Uh, Colossians, turn over one more book, chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also must you do. And then Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth. 
and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So there's a pretty bad description of these people who we have to deal with in humility. I mean, these are people who've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. Uh, They are people who need to come to their senses. They've been caught in a snare. They need to repent. They need to know the truth. And we're to deal with them in humility. They're people who are in opposition also. Now, uh, going back to uh, Galatians, verse 3, Paul says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, then he is nothing. He deceives himself. Now, this is all part of the same context. Uh, It is talking about the attitude with which we try to deal with a brother who's overtaken in a a trespass. Now, I want to read to you what uh, Haldane, and this is James Haldane, not Robert. This is the brother of Robert, uh, says in his commentary, on this verse. If a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Haldane says, We have no strength. We live and move and have our being in God. But we are apt to suppose ourselves to be somewhat, that our mountain stands strong and that we shall never be moved. When Peter walked on the water, He was supported by the power of Jesus. He was in a situation in which none had been placed before. But had he become vain of the distinction, ascribing it to his superiority over others, he would have deceived himself. The thought would have withdrawn his mind from him who said, Come, and he would have begun to sink, as he actually did, when his attention was drawn away by the fury of the wind. Nothing can more beautifully illustrate the Christian life. As it was naturally impossible that the water should support Peter, so it is naturally impossible that any child of fallen Adam should walk in the way of holiness. But he who called Peter has called the believer, and the power of his grace supports him till the storm of life is over. And he is received in the everlasting arms of him who condescended to be his forerunner in passing through this waste howling wilderness and who trampled on the last enemy that by the contemplation of his empty grave we might go over Jordan dry shod. The temper here condemned proceeds from men forming a false estimate of their own character, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves. Instead of being themselves, instead of bringing themselves to the standard of God's holy law, or fixing their eyes on the one perfect pattern exhibited, exhibited in the conduct of the Lord Jesus. Now, I think when Haldane says, instead of bringing themselves to the standard of God's holy law, that he does so with real understanding of what that means. And he, he, he knows, if you read the rest of his commentary, that what that means is, that we are nothing, that if we bring ourselves and judge ourselves according to the standard of God's holy law, we realize that we have no 
standing of our own whatsoever. Men measure their attainments by what they formerly were or compare themselves with others and thus their self-love disposes them to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. Paul speaks of himself as less than the least of all saints. He takes the lowest place. There is no inconsistency in his elsewhere speaking of himself as in nothing being, as in nothing being behind the very chiefest apostles. This was not spoken in the way of boasting, but to vindicate his apostolic authority, which had been called in question. And it is observable that he immediately adds, though I be nothing. When called to be an apostle, he was not only abundantly qualified to teach, but also to be an example to the believers. And when necessary, he appeals to his brethren how holily, justly, and unblameably he had behaved himself among them that believed. While he thus exhibited the sanctifying influence of the truth, he habitually felt that by the grace of God he was what he was. And the more of his grace he received, the less did he appear in his own eyes. There is a great difference between Paul and the Pharisee in the parable, although their language is in some respects similar. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. The Pharisee also admits that God alone made him to differ. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men. But the Pharisee trusted for acceptance with God to the difference between himself and others, while the apostle gloried only in the cross of Christ. Now, I want to keep on reading uh, what Haldane says about these next two verses. But let each one of us, verse 4, but let each one of us examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Haldane says the law of God is the rule of our conduct. And this holy law is transcribed in the life of Jesus. Let the believer compare himself with this unerring standard and in as far as a resemblance can be traced will he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. This passage is illustrated by, first, by 2 Corinthians 1.12. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you would. While the righteousness of Christ is the only ground of the believer's confidence, the love of God is shed abroad in his heart by the Holy Ghost. And this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Sin has not the dominion over the man who lives by the faith of Jesus. We are apt to be pleased with the slips of others as if we were elevated by their defects. We take the conduct of our brethren as our standard. And we appear to rise in proportion as they fall short. But after all, it is but little we know of others. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We only hear the words and see the actions of others. But we know what passes in our own hearts. We are aware of the motives by which we are actuated, and we can therefore form a much more correct estimate of ourselves than of our brethren. Let us then prove our own work. Let us judge ourselves, and in it so far as we bring forth the fruits of the Spirit, we shall have cause of rejoicing in this evidence of Christ living and working in us. It is written, 
the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. And then uh, verse 5. For every man shall bear his own burden. Haldane says, while it is the duty of believers to bear one another's burdens, each must at last bear his own burden. And therefore, it is most important for every man to prove his own work, knowing that the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your precious word. We pray, Father, that each of us might exhibit in our own lives the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that we might be enabled by you to walk in the Spirit in all that we do. And help us, Father, to have a spirit, a disposition to want to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.